Welcome to One City Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message by Chris Conley. For more information, please visit our website at onecitymemphis.org. We pray literally every day for God to show up. And he just showed up. And there are times, yes, that God shows up in a service when everything goes as planned, okay? But what I want to do, come on, don't leave me hanging, come on. (laughs) What I want to do is create a church where you show up, expecting him to show up, and expecting him to improve upon our plans. And some of you might say, well, I don't understand that. It's okay. There's a long time in my life I didn't understand any of this either. Don't worry about what you don't understand. Just start obeying what you do understand. And you'll start understanding what you didn't understand. Our city, our country, our world will not be changed by excellent church services. I've had the privilege, and I want to do excellent church services again, by the way, like in the sense of I I, I like all the bells and whistles, give me the smoke and the light. I like all that stuff. Um, I want a big LED screen. I want all that stuff. But I've done that before, and yes, God worked, and and there were great things. But honestly, even in our best days before, I longed for more. I knew there was more. I hungered and thirsted for more. And those outside the church aren't going to come to the church Because our level of excellence gets a little bit closer to their level of excellence in whatever concert they go to. And those outside the church aren't going to come to the church because our programming gets a little bit better. Those outside the church are going to come to the church because God has done something new in you. And because he's done something new in you, They're going to see something different in you. They're going to receive something different in you. And they're going to be irresistibly drawn to your love. And so we're building this movement based upon what God can do, not what man can do. We're building this movement based upon that our God is still a supernatural God. He still provides miracles. And we believe, listen, the first miracle, the one that that I love to celebrate more than anything, is the miracle of salvation. Of someone not understanding who God is, not knowing God, repenting of their sin, turning to God, taking off the old, putting on the new. That is the most glorious miracle. But at the same time, there are times that we allow that as believers to still be the most glorious miracle. We don't build upon that miracle. 
We have to build upon that miracle by becoming more and more like Christ. See, the word salvation is the Greek word sozo, and it means healing. And it's not just eternal healing, it's healing right now. It is a point-in-time experience that has continuing results. And that's, from a theological perspective, called sanctification. It just means I'm becoming more like Christ. And when you become more like Christ, you become more irresistible. And see, there's so many different things that we have lost along the way. We need to be a friend of sinners. See, the people that were most unlike Jesus liked Jesus the most. He would show up in the midst of the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and they didn't feel shame. They didn't feel embarrassed. They weren't trying to find a way to get out of his presence. They were so captivated by his presence. Because, see, he offers compassion without compromise. Our command isn't to know more, it's to love more. And so, what you need in your life, what I need in my life, the way that we become better givers, and not, when I say the word givers here, I'm not talking financially. I'm talking givers of love, givers of peace. Givers of joy is we have to be better receivers. And in order to be better receivers, we have to be connected to the life source. We have to abide in him. And when we abide in him, then all of his life flows into us. And then we bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And so let me um, say some things that you need to listen very quickly. All right, so be quick listeners today. And this will just go all over the place, but I'll try to hit some of my points. Friday night, we went to go see Maverick City. If you're not familiar with Maverick City, you need to become familiar with Maverick City. But I have grown up in Memphis my entire life, and it was one of the most beautiful expressions of Memphis, Tennessee I've ever seen. The FedEx Forum was full. My guess, it was about 70% African-American, about 30% white. As someone, honestly, that comes from, you know, kind of a white middle class, I'm used to being the majority. I'm used to kind of walking in and everyone else has to adapt to me. It gave me such a love and appreciation for the African-American church. It gave me so much hope about what God is doing. And then there's such understanding that when you have suffered some hardship and you have lived under some oppression, there are certain things that it does to your faith that makes you strong and courageous. And then it invigorated every dream I have for us. A lot of you don't know this. I don't know that I've ever really even told this story publicly. Before we started High Point Church, we were living in Dayton, Ohio. And God had put on my heart that that church needed to be a church of diversity. And before we ever moved to Memphis, this is over 20 years ago, I gathered about 30 people together, and we went to New York City, and we went to Brooklyn Tabernacle to learn and to experience a church of diversity. 
We met with Pastor Jim Simbla. I had a gentleman go with me that I was praying would become our African-American teaching pastor. And he's a wonderful man, but he chose to go uh, do his own pastorate. But I think that was from the Lord because I think the Lord taught me not to take shortcuts. Don't just hire someone. But the first five years in the life of High Point Church, every guest pastor I had was African-American. And then God taught me that you'll never have church of diversity until you have friends of diversity. And so then it was when we adopted Overton High School, it's when we did several other ministries that we, we didn't just show up to take our picture for our you know, day of service, but we built friendships. And when we built friendships, we began to grow in diversity. And we got to a place where we were over 20% diversity, and that was significant in this city, and I believe it was just the beginning of what God wanted to do. But why do I share that right now? Because if we can truly be a church that's spirit-led, and, and for the sake of everyone, let me give context and give balance. We always talk about here we want to be a bird with two wings. One wing's the word of God. One wing's the spirit of God. And if they work in harmony, then we get off the ground. And I know y'all all love it when I do this, but if one's a little bitty. <laughs> or one little, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> they ain't no flying. All right? You know, when you go to concerts, you always see the white man dance, right? The white man dance is just, we just jump. <laughs> yeah. If we can truly be a church that has the word of God and the spirit of God working in agreement, we'll soar. If we can truly be a church that represents our city, and brings in the beauty and the glory of each culture and celebrates it. We can be the revival movement that God has placed in my heart for 25 years. Our goal is not to grow another successful church. Our, grow, our goal is to be a part of a movement that your children, your grandchildren, and your great children, grandchildren will tell stories about. See, in the book of Haggai, and I'm just going to give you a little bit today, we've talked about there's five themes. Consider your ways. Build the house. And then he says, I am with you. And the reason why this series is called I Am With You is because we need to be reminded. See, when he says consider your ways, that's um, speaking some truth and love. When he says consider your ways, there's some times that he disciplines us because he loves us. When he says consider your ways, there's some times there's some consequences involved. And whenever I've experienced a little bit of negativity, I need some reassurance that he's still with me. And whenever I go through a down season, I need some reassurance that he's still with me. And so he says, consider your ways, build the house, reprioritize my house over your house. And then he says, I am 
with you. But here's the next theme that occurs in the book of Haggai. He says, work, for I am with you. What's your orientation to work? Is it God's orientation or the culture's? Oh, I hate Mondays. Thank God it's Friday. (laughs) Work was given to us before the fall of man. You think you can become like God and not work like God? You think work might have a place to roll in your sanctification process? You think that maybe if you spend 40, 50, 60 hours doing something that you might be able to bless someone through those hours, serve someone through those hours, love someone through those hours, influence someone through those hours, impact someone through those hours. Some people say, well, I mean, if I did what you did, I'd love my work too. No, you wouldn't, trust me. (laughs) If you don't treat your current ministry Your current work like ministry, you definitely don't need to get in the ministry. So he says, work for I am with you. So let me read this passage. Starting chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month. Now, if he dates something, something important is going to happen, right? And I want to encourage you, by the way. Churches have kind of gotten away from this in the world of digital Bibles. I get it. I use my digital Bible all the time, too. Bring your Bible. If you take notes in your phone, take notes in your phone. Take notes. Write stuff down. Because the faintest of ink is better than the strongest of memory. If God says something, document it. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. On July 3rd, 2022, the day before the 4th of July, you walked into One City Church and you received a word of the Lord today. What was it? What is it? What's it going to be? He says, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Do you believe God Spoke yesterday. Everyone's, oh, yeah, 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 totally, believe it. Do you believe God speaks today? Well, I mean, how does he speak? Well, I mean, he speaks through the Bible, yeah, but, I mean, in addition to that, how does he speak? Are you willing to believe he still speaks through people? Yeah, but, I mean, there's so many people that take advantage of that and manipulate that and use it incorrectly. Yes, 100%, but there's also people who do it correctly. So don't negate a word from the Lord because some do it incorrectly. Use your discernment to figure out who does it correctly. So he says, speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, uh, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, now watch this, who is left who saw this house in its former glory. If we're not careful also on this 4th of July, and if we were to make an application to our country, 
and especially with older generations, and I'm trying to guard myself from becoming that old person that criticizes everything in the younger generation. (laughs) There's a lot of people right now that would say the same thing about our country. Who of you is left who saw this country in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Verse 4, but, be, but now be strong, Zerubbabel. Why does he need to be strong? Because, see, there were a group of people still alive who had seen the former temple in all of its glory. Because I'm going to fast forward for just a moment over here to Ezra. Listen to what Ezra says. See, The Jews were put in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. It was about the 19th year of their captivity that the temple was destroyed. King Cyrus calls them back out of captivity. They come and Zerubbabel lays the foundation for the temple. They meet external resistance and internal indifference and because of the external resistance and the internal indifference they allow the temple to lie dormant for 16 more years so now if you add this up there was kind of that two three year window 16 years the temple was destroyed in the 19th year of their captivity and then 19 years after their captivity they start rebuilding that's about 70 years So there were people older than 70 years who saw this. And in Ezra chapter 3, starting verse 11, it says this. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. God did some things today that were praiseworthy, that are shout-worthy. You're going to hear more and more stories. Like, okay, Jake talks about someone had... Three tumors, cancer, they dissolve. Like, if that was your brother, sister, mom, dad, son, daughter, would you shout? Stop being afraid of shouting. Be afraid of not shouting. Be afraid of a God that does not inspire shouting. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. They wept aloud because, see, the foundation of the new temple was smaller than the foundation of the old temple. And while many others shouted for joy, so there's people weeping and there's people shouting for joy. It says, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. Because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Right now, we have a lot of people weeping over the condition of our country, which I believe is related to the condition of our church. 
And sometimes the weeping, the complaining, the criticizing is so loud that we never hear stories about what happens on mornings like this morning. We don't hear stories of what's happening in Columbus, stories of what's happening in Mexico, stories of what's happening around the world. We don't hear stories about FedEx Forum being filled up with worship. And I want us to get to a place where the shouts of joy are greater than the shouts of weeping. Now listen to this. The people who wept aloud, they did it from their perspective. All right. Now, part of that weeping was sincere. They'd seen great things. But part of their weeping also was from a lack of faith. They kept thinking the glory was in the past tense instead of the future tense. And so we need to understand when someone's weeping, there's typically something sincere about their weeping. Most people don't fake weeping. But it may not be weeping from God's perspective. There is a time to weep, and there is a time for joy. The building of a new temple after 16 years of it lying dormant, plus 70 years, 86 years, was not the time to weep. Let me get real vulnerable with you. I, I have pride just like everyone else. It's humbling for me every day to walk into this place. My office was almost as big as this place in our previous place. I have pride. And I humble myself. But the reason why I share that is because it's just being real and honest with you about how you can value the wrong things and how you can associate glory with the wrong things. Now, I want you to notice the next part. The people, watch the first part, the people who wept aloud, they wept from their perspective. But the people who shouted for joy, they shouted from their perspective. Have you ever noticed that it's really, really hard to fake a shout for joy? I believe universally around the world, one of the reasons why people are so attracted to sports, yes, of course, competition, but I believe there's something in our heart that's a childlike quality that's waiting for the celebration at the end of the victory where there's this spontaneous shouting for joy that grown men and women can't even control themselves. <laughs> and I think there's something in your heart and my heart that longs for something great enough to cause you to shout for joy. And so you shouldn't have to be a professional athlete to live for a moment in time, a one shining moment to shout for joy. 
Listen, I I believe joy is a pure emotion. And we need to understand the divine creation of our emotions. We allow the enemy to steal our emotions and use them in impure ways and use them against us. Whereas every emotion has a pure expression, not just an impure expression. And so... Jesus said, I came so that my joy may be in you and your joy might be made full and that we actually win the battle through joy. Not just more determination, not just a stronger work ethic, but someone that walks into the room and everything changes. See, joy is not only a pure emotion, I believe it's a confident emotion. Try to be joyful and be indecisive. Joy is because something amazing has happened and you are absolutely confident about what that is. And so joy operates from an abundance mentality, not a scarcity mentality. You have joy when you believe you have a good, good father who gives good gifts to his children, who's sovereign even when things go wrong, who causes all things to work together for good, who promises restoration, and even more than restoration, double restoration, and who never leaves you nor forsakes you and says, I am with you. That's joy. But what about his glory? I mean, the temple's smaller and we don't have as much silver and we don't have as much gold. And God says, the silver and gold is mine. I own it. And he says, don't you dare worry about the glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The glory is the more and more you become conformed to the image of Christ. And so what he tells them, and I'm going to wrap this up, is he says, be strong. Hey, Zerubbabel, be strong. Hey, Joshua, be strong. Hey, all the remnant of the people, be strong. Because, I mean, what do you think weeping, while you're, imagine you're here building the temple, there's weeping going on. <laughs> that make you feel pretty defeated, right? Like, I don't know why I'm doing this. They're just weeping over all my hard work. So he says, be strong. And to be strong, we always hear the phrase, be strong and courageous. In many ways, to be strong means to be courageous. And you've heard this before, but... The word encouragement means put courage in you. Encouragement puts courage in you. Discouragement takes courage from you. So let me close with this. Maybe this is the word for you today. What are the results of encouragement? Encouragement leads to confidence. It leads to confidence. Confidence leads to action. Action leads to accomplishment. 
And accomplishment leads to more encouragement. And then the cycle repeats itself. Let me say that again. Encouragement leads to confidence. Confidence leads to action. See, the word hope biblically is confident expectation. That's what it means. See, the word faith biblically, it's not um, blind faith. It's confident trust. See, when I have faith, I have confidence in a historical God who is still alive in the present tense, who everything that he once did, he still does. So my encouragement leads to confidence. My confidence leads to action. My action leads to accomplishment for the kingdom. And my accomplishment leads to more encouragement. Now, what are the results of discouragement? Discouragement leads to doubt, right? So doubt is the opposite of belief. Doubt is the opposite of faith. Doubt leads to passivity. See, if you don't know who you are in Christ, you're going to be passive. And passivity leads to negligence. And negligence leads to more discouragement. And the cycle repeats itself. And so Haggai 2, 4 says, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. Watch this. Declares the Lord Almighty. Declares the Lord Almighty. In verse 5, And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I can say all day long, do not fear, do not fear. But if you don't replace fear with faith, it's going to be the pink elephant and you're going to focus on fear. Your God is bigger than you needing to survive Tuesday because see, tomorrow's a holiday and you're going to survive that day. Your faith is bigger than surviving. You were made to thrive. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to his mighty power that works in us. That he may receive glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. So in many regards, we've already had a response time today, but I want to give a response for someone to trust Christ. And if there's anyone else that has things that you want to pray for, we'll just be available after the service and available to pray with you, for you. But there may be someone here today that, like, you've had the head knowledge. You know, you, you are in agreement. Yeah, I believe in God. But it never worked. Well, sometimes the seed of the word of God, it falls along the path. It falls along the, the road and it just kind of gets trampled underfoot and it never takes root. And sometimes the seed falls on rocky soil and it springs up to life quickly and the sun comes out, but it scorches it and it dies and it never had a root structure. And sometimes the seed falls among the thorns and the worries of the world and the riches of the world choke it out. And then there's times the seed falls on good soil. 
And it produces a harvest, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. When I was 15 years old at a student camp, you'll hear about our student camp next week from Taylor. The seed finally fell on some good soil. And I've never gotten over it. Amen. Amen. If you look at your life and you don't see some evidence, fruit, more fruit, much fruit, then I invite you to pray this prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, Say that word Father. That's the beginning of faith right there. Just say the word Father. When you say the word Father, something begins to just elevate in your heart. You say, Father, forgive me for my sin. It just means I missed the mark. It means I'm imperfect. It's the one thing that every person in this room can agree upon. We're imperfect. Say, forgive me of my sin. Then, Father, I repent of my sin. That just means I change my mind. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. Got to repent of my sin. And then third, I place my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I just encourage you to say it this way. Save me, Lord Jesus. Save me, Lord Jesus. And as you say that prayer, save me, Lord Jesus, I believe in that moment he answers that prayer, something's awakened in your heart, and there's something that just stirs up inside of you that says, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's message, share it with a friend, and be sure to subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a single episode. Join our movement and help us to prove that love works. You can give towards our mission at onecitymemphis.org.